Welcome to The Gathering Place with Blessed Is She. I'm Jenna Gizar. And I'm Beth Davis. Pull up a chair and grab a drink. Or you could just keep doing what you're doing. Pull up a chair in your heart. (laughs) Come chat with us about Jesus, prayer, community, and life. So let's get started. Hey, Beth. Hi, Jenna. How are you? Well, it's Good Friday, so I'm happy. You are? I mean, it's Good Friday. It's a good thing, right? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of sad and depressing. (laughs) But it's also ultimately really good news. Okay, who do we have here with us today? (laughs) Father Patrick Mary Briscoe. We're so glad that you're here. Welcome. Hi, friends. Thanks for having me. Welcome to The Gathering Place, Father. Did you know that's our name? I did not. (laughs) It's just like for us to gather together and chat about things. I like it. Thanks. Father, you mean you're not an avid Blessed Is She podcast listener? Jeez, Father. I have tuned in, but I did not know that this was the name. I don't remember names. Um, I try really hard to. It's a nice name. Gathering Place is a nice name. I feel like this is the place where we've gathered. (laughs) That's right. That's it. Last you year, <laughs> we spontaneously recorded an episode in Ireland with Father Parks. So this year, Beth gets to spontaneously record an episode with Father. Oh, I wasn't aware. Yeah. Father, I guess we're going to record oh. an episode in Ireland this November. Absolutely, we are. But then we'll be gathering in a different place. <laughs> mm-hmm. We can gather anywhere. That's the point. You can gather in a place, any place, <laughs> together. Right. Father, would you mind introducing yourself? Not at all. Um, My name is Father Patrick Mary Briscoe. I'm a Dominican friar of the province of St. Joseph. Presently, I'm in ministry out east here in the wilderness of Providence, Rhode Island, which is not the wilderness at all. Actually, my favorite description of Providence comes from a line from an eagle song where he sees this girl and he says, she was from Providence where the old world hung heavy in the air. <laughs> that absolutely captures Providence, Rhode Island, The old, where the old world hangs heavy in the air. I love it. I love it up here my, in my priestly ministry. I do a little bit of everything. Um, I do some itinerant retreat preaching. I've taught different classes at Providence College, but my primary ministry is at St. Pius V Church, which is the parish church located right next to Providence College. Um, we have a K through eight school, which is run by the Nashville Dominican Sisters, and all the typical, more or less typical things that a parish priest would do. That's very cool. Do you and the sisters all have gatherings together? We do. Um, so we gather in different places. Uh, sometimes we gather in the convent. Sometimes we gather in the rectory. And those are very nice gatherings. I meant, like, do you share life together? Like, do you guys pray together? Like, what is that life to like? I know to what be? you meant. I couldn't resist. <laughs> I love it. I love. I love having Dominican sisters here. Um, it's really incredible, uh, and that's. I mean, that's one of the things that I love most about our order is that that we have the the witness of uh, the witness of the sisters, um, the Society of Jesus, the Jesuits, for example. There's they don't have a parallel. Sisters community. St. Dominic, um, when he first created his first converts, when he was first preaching, 
it was women who first came to him and he mm. founded the Dominican nuns, the cloistered nuns before the friars even. Wow. So that's such, a, that's such an interesting little part of our trivia. But anyway, I, it makes our life here very vibrant to have the sisters around, to have their witness of prayer. And especially with the, with our young people, with the students in the school, you can just really see how committed they are to Catholic formation. And my gosh, how much they do to help the parish. I can't, we'd be here all day, you know, if I listed all the things the sisters do for us. Cool. Father, I was hoping, since it's Good Friday, that we could chat a little bit about Holy Week, about Good Friday, about the cross. As we said at the beginning of the episode, Good Friday has kind of a misnomer of a name, right? If we're thinking about it, you know, why do, why do we call this Friday good? And I think that's what you were getting at, uh, right, Beth, at the beginning of the episode. I mean, this is the day when Christ shed his blood for the redemption of our sins, when the new Adam was crucified on a tree and undid the ancient curse of the first Adam who with Eve sinned in the garden so many years before. That's why this Friday is good, because the ancient curse, the original sin which was cast upon us, the first taking of the forbidden fruit from the tree is undone by Jesus's own sacrifice on the wood of the cross. It's amazing just the whole transformation that we go through, right? Like last night's Holy Thursday liturgy being so jubilant with the institution of the of the Eucharist, special prayers, the canon of the Mass is different on Holy Thursday, just highlighting the giving of the Eucharist. Many parishes ob- observe the mandatum, that is the foot washing, the demonstration of Jesus's command to love as I have loved. Last night, what we're led into, right? With the stripping of the altar, where after the Liturgy of Holy Thursday, the church is just bare and empty. It's really remarkable. It, all, all of that is the liturgical symbolism, the, the kind of simplifying and darkness that we're headed into uh, of Jesus's self-offering, of everything being stripped away from him. I always thought that was so profound, right? The mm-hmm. altar in Catholic liturgy symbolizes Christ. That's why we bow to it. That's why it's dressed and reverenced. And it's stripped. For Good wow. Friday, just yeah. like Christ was on the cross, you know, abject and bare. It's really profound, the, the liturgy just leading into this moment of Good Friday where there's just that pouring out, that abject stripping, that, that self-offering, that emptying of, of Jesus' own lifeblood on the cross. Father, I'm so curious, how has your experience been different as a priest offering Mass in these liturgies during this week versus when you were just a part of the congregation? Yeah, so as a priest, I would say one thing, you know, that is a highlight of Holy Week is the Chrism Mass, to head to the cathedral, to renew our vows. This year, uh, Bishop Evans, who's the auxiliary bishop here in Providence, preached a marvelous, marvelous sermon at the Chrism Mass. It was a beautiful homily mm. about the priesthood, just a meditation even on even on the kind of brokenness of priests. He used the two mm. literary examples of Bernanos, Country Priest, and of uh, Graham Greene's Whiskey Priest in those two novels. But just talking about how even though we are earthen vessels, Jesus uses us to transmit his grace to confect the Eucharist. I mean, the, the symbolism of the Chrism Mass is just so powerful to join in with other priests, to renew the promises we made at our ordination in the presence of the local bishop, to watch as he consecrates the chrism and even pray. Part of the beauty of, of the chrism is that as the bishop is praying the prayer which consecrates, it's all the priests, they extend their hands over it as well, as if celebrating that blessing. So that's just a, a tremendous, tremendous moment of prayer and of life. The foot washing, you know, is one of the things that we look to in our Catholic tradition as the ordination moment of the first priest. We ask mm. when, when it happen. 
when Jesus lined up the 12 and washed their feet right before the Last Supper. For us, that moment has a special symbolism. This is, yeah, a lot of medieval theologians and some of the church fathers discuss that. So that symbolism of the foot washing is um, intimately connected to in our traditions, not just with a symbol of kind of self-sacrifice. It's not just the love command um, or servant leadership, sometimes people say, but but it's the institution of the priesthood, mm. Jesus being with his 12 friends and leaving them this great gift of himself. I mean, in the end, that's all that Jesus gives us is himself. We see that on Holy Thursday, which takes us, you know, to where we are today in Good Friday to one of my favorite quotes ever, which is from the French poet Paul Claudel, who's one of my guys. I love Claudel, a convert back to the faith himself in Notre Dame. He was sitting by the second pillar on the left side outside of the sacristy. There was a plaque there. I, well, perhaps it still stands um, that says, Ici se converti, Paul Claudel. You know, here Paul Claudel was converted when the Magnificat was singing on Christmas Day in 1886. Anyway, super beautiful moment, Paul mm-hmm. Claudel converts in Notre Dame. This beautiful quote is that Jesus did not come to take away our suffering but to fill it with his presence. Wow. And that, above all, is the lesson of Good Friday. Jesus doesn't remove our suffering. He doesn't give it meaning in the sense that, you know, sometimes people try and assert meaning in suffering. All Jesus does is give him himself. As Claudel says, he fills our suffering with his presence. I'm so glad you shared that quote. I feel like I want to stop recording and go pray about that. It's certainly true to my experience of suffering. Uh, And I like Mm. that you made the distinction between find meaning in suffering and presence. I think more often than not, I want meaning, Mm. understanding. I want to feel like it was worth it, like it had a point. And that's not to undermine our ancient understandings that suffering can be sanctifying and you know I'm, I'm not speaking against those interpretations of course and in that sense meaning is certainly to be found but when you talk about why it happened well you know the root of sin that the original sin for which christ you know had to die and redeem us the original sin was just an exercise of self contrary to reason you know a kind of domination of self-will against the plan that god had for our happiness it's not rational it's not the kind of thing that can be that can be figured out and understood the way that God can or the way that his plan for us can. I love that. I wanted to ask you, is there like a particular phrase or gospel? Is there a particular moment in these gospel stories about the crucifixion that you've really been meditating on or that you're looking forward to meditating on? Well, we hear on Holy Thursday, the words of Jesus to the apostles, those last chapters of St. John's Gospel, they're often called the farewell discourses of Jesus, just referring to all of these chapters. Those are some of my favorite verses in all of scripture. You know, I sat with those last night, and those just kind of resonate with me very deeply in Holy Week. I had a pastor for many years who, if you went to him for confession on Good Friday, your penance was always to meditate on one particular station of the cross. And he would tell you which station to pray about, which was really beautiful and very healing. I fell in love with the station where Jesus falls a second time. Mm. And that's one that every single year I come back to and I feel so deeply connected with. So I'm curious if either of you have a station that you feel particularly drawn to. I like the second station when Jesus accepts the cross. So Paul Claudel wrote 
meditations for each of the stations of the cross. Wow. And this is the poem for the second station. They tear his garments, bring to him the cross by man required. Hail, Jesus says, O cross I have long desired. Look on it, Christian soul, in fear, O moment awed, when for the first time Christ assumes the cross outlawed. Consummated this day, that tree of Eden's test, O sinner, look and see, whither is sin addressed. No crime again without a God above, no cross but Christ has blessed. Wretched indeed is man, yet no complaint have we still. For now is God above, come not to explain, but to fulfill. Jesus receives the cross as we do Holy Communion. We give him wood for his bread, said Jeremiah the prophet. Oh, bitter long is the cross, enormous and full of pain. How hard it is, how stiff, how heavy the weight of the sinner in vain. A weary load to carry step after step till one dies thereon. Dear Lord, art thou going to bear that crushing burden alone? Help me submit to bear in turn the wood thou mayest wish to send. For a man must carry his cross till it lifts him up in the end. Boy, that really puts every man's way of the cross to shame. <laughs> so a couple moments that I just absolutely love about this, right? Hail, Jesus says, O cross I have long desired. Oh, yeah. You know, it's not like Good Friday was a surprise to the Lord. Like he woke up and thought, oh, my gosh, you know, here I am in Pilate's, you know, palace. I wonder what's going to happen. Like, no, Jesus knows, right? And that's the point is that he sees it. But here, the way that Claudel has phrased it in this poem, hail, you know, he's like in awe of it as, as we are, you know, of a relic that we would venerate or something like that. Something that Jesus would long to see. Oh, cross, I've long desired. You know, just that word desire filled with meaning that he wants to, you know, just embrace it. And then that that line, Jesus receives the cross as we do Holy Communion. That's incredible to think of the kind of tenderness, how we approach the Holy Sacrament. We have a, um, you know, a kind of running to it, right? How we anticipate and even joyfully receive Holy Communion. Like, it's not a heavy moment. That's why I think that line is so interesting. Like, think of a First Communion that line, Jesus receives the cross as we do Holy Communion. Like, really? Actually, yes, in a way. And then the last line, of course, a man must carry his cross till it lifts him up in the end. That's what the cross does for us. Our own crosses don't smother us. We're not trapped under them as if fallen. They are that whereby we are lifted up in the end. Father, I can Gather. imagine you've prayed these stations many times. You've prayed the Holy Week, the Triduum liturgies many times as, you know, just growing up and now as a priest. And I wonder how you avoid familiarity. How does it become new to you every time? We know that the word and the story of salvation unfolding here is inexhaustible. But sometimes I find myself kind of going into autopilot. Like, I know what to expect. This is what we do. How do you actively enter more deeply into these mysteries? Yeah, I've never felt that Holy Week was that way. You know, like a daily mass at seven o'clock in the morning, you know, sure. But Holy Week is just, it really is. It's so very different. It's so very profound. The prayers are so ancient and rich. 
as a kind of confessional point, I find the Stations of the Cross to be just very dreary. This this Lent, I've prayed them twice a day. I've done them with the school children in the afternoon, and then again at Friday evenings at seven. And each time, I just feel like I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> Not every devotion speaks to every person. Some people feel that way about the rosary or the Divine Mercy Chaplet or something like that. But the Stations of the Cross, you know, just for me, this Lent in particular, have had just a real weariness to them. Mm. And I think, I mean, what I've discovered in praying about that is ironically, like, that's that's where the Lord was or where the apostles were through them. You know, it's not even something that I can just kind of rush through without feeling that encountering the weight of them. That's part of the crucifixion. That's part of entering into the mystery of Good Friday. What's really moved me this Lent, this Holy Week, and thinking in particular about those chapters in John from like 13 to 19, is the intentionality of Jesus, that he wasn't rushing through his suffering. I still just cannot get over the fact that he gave us the Eucharist, that he was so profoundly present to his disciples just hours before their betrayal and his suffering and crucifixion. He leans in harder. He's more present. He's more intentional in like the height of his pain and abandonment. I'm in awe of that. I'm so challenged by that. And I'm so grateful for it. In um, St. Thomas's, Summa, he's got some beautiful questions about the passion. One of them is he asks whether there was any more suitable way of delivering the human race other than by Christ's passion. Speaking theoretically, speculatively, uh, that's what makes the passion so interesting is that God could have delivered us any way that God chose to. He could have stubbed his toe for us. He could have waved a wand and undone original sin. Uh, But he didn't do that. He sent his son, one of the persons of the Trinity, Jesus, in his human nature, knew all of of the sufferings of a human life, including death. That's incredible. And what St. Thomas says is that what this does for us is this shows us how much God loves us. So in the first place, man knows thereby how much God loves him and is thereby stirred to love him in return And herein lies the perfection of human salvation. I mean, that's what should be happening to us on Good Friday is that we should be so moved by Jesus's passion, you know, by seeing what he did for us, that something would happen in our hearts to be able to love him in return. And I think we have an experience of that in the liturgy and for some of us, even in the heaviness of devotions like the Stations of the Cross, you know, just speaking (laughs) hypothetically. (laughs) Jenna, is there anything you're looking forward to, anything you are praying with this Holy Week? I'm excited because the girls have never seen the Triduum, so I'm excited that they're doing that this week. That's what I'm most pumped about. Because I think that they just give a different perspective to things. When they actually hear and try to understand what's happening, it's really beautiful when children respond to that. I can just imagine like their awe and wonder because... Holy Week, those liturgies are so, they really engage their senses. Yeah. It's different than Mm -hmm. a regular, quote unquote, mass. That's what I'm most happy about. Very brave. Very excited for you. Thanks. Well, this has been so beautiful and 
such a great consolation to me to hear you share so much, Father. So thank you so much for coming on with us today. Oh, my pleasure. Would you mind closing us in prayer? No, I'd be happy to. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, on this Good Friday, the day by which your Son delivered us from the curse of death, we pray that the graces of the cross might flood our hearts, that every virtue of the passion, Jesus' obedience and his humility, his desires, longing for self-sacrifice might flood our hearts, that by witnessing and praying and meditating upon the suffering and sacrifice of your son, we might ourselves be caught up more deeply in the mystery of your love. We make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Thanks, Father. Good to see you. Thank you, Father. Talk soon. Thanks so much for gathering with us here on the Blessed Is She podcast. Send over all your questions using the Anchor app. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us at blessedishe.net slash community and join us on all your favorite social media platforms. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I love Twitter. Until next time.